Hi, my name is Kieran Bishop. I'm 17 years old, and I became interested in finance freshman year of high school. As I became part of financial clubs, I realized that a great deal of the time, I was one of, if not the only girl in the room. This feeling of being disconnected to everyone around me while simultaneously being in a room full of people is what inspired me to create this podcast, Women Who Earn. I created this podcast to help young girls like me gain knowledge and wisdom from industry professionals on topics ranging from how to break into finance to how to deal with unique challenges posed from being a woman in the industry. It is important for me, and I hope that it is also important for you, that feeling alienated by a situation out of your control does not inhibit your motivation to pursue whatever you want. This is Women Who Earn. Today, I will be joined by Shannon O'Mara. Shannon O'Mara is the Associate Director of Credit Research at Loomis Sales & Company, where she is also the Senior Analyst on the Home Construction and Building Materials Industries. Additionally, in 2015, Shannon founded the Undergraduate Women's Investment Network, UWIN, a mentorship program whose mission is to inspire, develop, and recruit undergraduate students who are underrepresented in the investment management industry. In 2019, Shannon was recognized by Investment News as a Woman to Watch honoree for her leadership, contributions, and impact in the industry. She began her investment journey in 1993 and joined Loomis Sales in 1998. Prior to Loomis Sales, Shannon was a credit risk manager and lending officer at J.P. Morgan. She earned a BA in economics from the University of Rochester and management certificates in finance and accounting from the William E. Simon School of Business at the University of Rochester. She is a CFA charter holder. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate you setting aside time for this. And we should probably just jump right into this. First off, I feel like you should just go over your career trajectory and how you got to where you are today. Sure. Karen, thank you so much for doing this. It's such important work that you're doing. So I'm delighted to help get the word out so we can get more women into finance. So my name is Shannon O'Mara. I'm Associate Director of our credit research group at Loomis Sales. I have been at Loomis for quite some time. And here I wear a couple different hats. I'm Associate Director, so I partner with our Director of Research in managing and leading the group globally. We have offices in Boston, in Chicago, in London, and Singapore. I'm also a senior analyst, so I do have sector coverage for some consumer cyclicals. And I also manage our investment, undergraduate women's investment network program, which we refer to as UN, and I can talk a little bit more about that. Um, but prior to Loomis, I was with JP Morgan, where I was there for about five years, went through their training program, got credit trained, and then ended up moving from New York to Boston. I graduated from the University of Rochester with an undergraduate degree in economics. Great. Well, thank you. Did you always think that you were going to do something in finance or economics? Or was that more sort of you decided in college that you wanted to major in it? So I may have shared with you earlier that I thought it was going to be pre-med, which is just so completely laughable now, knowing myself and what I currently do. I really liked sciences, so I thought, oh, this would be a good track for me, and then ended up taking a bunch of science classes and thinking, no, this is not my trajectory. But then I decided that, okay, maybe I'll be a math major. 
I really liked my math courses and thought, no, I don't want to be a professor. I'm not really sure what I could do with a math degree at the end of this. So tried to figure out how I can combine some of the things that I liked and ended up taking a lot of finance, accounting, economics courses. And that's really how I ended up with that major. I would say coming out of school, I had pretty much no idea what I wanted to do. I thought maybe I'd be an actuary. And because I was going to be a math major, I did go down that path and I took an actuarial exam. I did an actuarial internship at an insurance company in the summer between my junior and senior year. Lovely people, great project, but thought, again, this is not where I want to go. I knew a couple of things. One is I liked finance. I liked thinking about investing. Those are the classes that I enjoyed the most. Um, I also knew that I had a boatload of student loan debt that I needed to get a job that was going to pay me well. So I ended up going to a career fair in New York City. And I thought, let's just see how I can parlay this. And it was a bunch of investment banks and some insurance companies and other financial institutions and ended up getting in line with JP Morgan. And they liked my spiel. And before I knew it, I was interviewing with them and accepted into their training program. So that's kind of how I, I don't know if I stumbled into it, but I was able to identify some of those skills and areas of interest that I really liked and to see how I can actually leverage those into a career. Yeah, I think that's very interesting. I think most people don't really know what they want to do until they sort of just stumble upon a career that kind of seems fit for them. And I mean, I don't know because I'm still in high school, but I feel like your career is very flexible and it's not like one thing that you're set in and you can always change. Absolutely. And, you know, when you're in school, you know, in high school, you're concentrating on like getting good grades and taking AP exam and doing all your extracurriculars. So you get into college and you get into this good college and then it's the same thing. It's all about like, how do we do well in school? What courses do I need to take so I can figure out what my major is going to be? And I almost wish that college was more than four years because I wish that students had time to really explore. But it seems like almost by the end of freshman year, it's like, okay, what course do I need to take so that I could take this course at my major and this major? And you're constantly thinking about checking off those boxes. And then when you get to your first job, you know, you have to make the decision for your first job and there's so much stress involved in it. And what I would say is like, your first job is not going to be your last. You know, you're going to, you, maybe you fall in love with your first job. I am envious of those people who knew I'm going to be a doctor or I'm going to go to law school or, you know, I want to be a biomedical engineer. Like, I don't even know what that means. Um, <laughs> I just find that so admirable. I definitely was not one of those people. And I think, you know, if you're not one of those people, like your first job, you're going to learn something from it, right? It may not necessarily be what you love, but I think with each job, it's an opportunity to learn something about yourselves. What do I like to do? What don't I like to do? I think about my daughter who did an internship this summer. It was an electrical engineering internship. Great company, great people, had a wonderful experience. But she said, I'm pretty sure this is not what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And I was like, well, that's great. So you could check that off the list. But she learned some things like, oh, I really like X, Y, and Z. So hopefully your next job, you'll be able to do a little bit more of those things that bring you joy and less of those things that you find out. Nah, not really interested in that. Yeah, I think that's a very important thing that maybe is not talked about that much where there's so much stress placed on like, oh, you need to be this when you grow up or you need to do this, this, this. and then. As a result, you'll get this great job that pays however much and whatever. There's so much. And I guess you get put in this box and we really need to just break out of it. Along the same topic of like your career and your trajectory, what moment are you most proud of in your journey? 
it's hard to distill one moment over the course of 30 years. But I would say, and this is going to sound super simple, but when I look back on those things that I'm most proud of are those things that really took me outside of my comfort zone, which is really scary to do, right? To do something like go into the unknown. You know, I, I did something. When was this? This is probably a few years ago now. I did a podcast and it was with Candy O'Terry, the story behind her success. And I don't know if anyone knows Candy O'Terry, but she was this beloved radio voice in Boston for years. And she did a keynote and was facilitating a huge fundraiser that I went to. And so when I introduced us and said, oh, you, you know, you should be on her podcast. And I was like, oh, that's really funny. Like her podcast is huge. <laughs> and one of my colleagues said, look at Shannon, you know, you, you just got to do it. You got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And that has stayed with me for so long. So when I think back to those kind of defining moments in my career, and again, this might seem really simple, but it was finding a mentor. And at the time, like, I didn't know this guy was a mentor, but it was when I was at JP Morgan and a few of us young women decided that we wanted to start a women's network. What the heck did we know about starting a women's network? But we did it. And I don't know, it really, the eight of us. We got an advisor who was a more senior banker, a woman, and we were we would host these town hall meetings with like very senior people. And here I was, twenty, I don't even know, twenty. I had to facilitate this panel of three MD bankers, and one of them, I, again, I didn't know it at the time, but I struck up a relationship with him, and he would bring me into his office, and he would have to ask me those tough questions, like Shannon, what do you want to do with your life? You know, what do you like to do? And and he really helped define you know the trajectory of my career at a very young age where he's helped plant some of those seeds. So I don't underestimate the value of mentorship. And if anyone asks me, like you, Karen, to reach out to get some time on my calendar, usually the answer is yes. And it's usually a lot of young women like yourself, but anyone who wants to, for a reason, I'm usually willing to have these discussions. And then I would say the second thing that I'm really proud of is this undergraduate women's investment network. And our mission is threefold. It's to inspire, develop, and recruit underrepresented folks into investment management. And we do this through a mentorship program and internship program. And we provide professional development and technical skills that are needed to succeed in the industry. And I identified this as a need years ago when I was having difficulty finding a diverse lead of candidates for some of my junior research positions. And I was like, if I could just find these women and bring them into the office and show them that we exist and show them that this is a really rewarded career and it's a place where they belong and can contribute and add value and be respected, then maybe we can make a difference here. I've really underestimated the impact that that's had not only on the women who've been in the program, which is now close to 250, but also on my colleagues who support it pretty broadly. You know, they're getting something out of it as well because mentorship is usually a two-way relationship, right? The mentee is the one who's learning a lot, but it's also the mentor who gets something out of it as well. So I would say those couple of things, stepping outside of your comfort zone to do something that maybe you wouldn't necessarily think of doing, but looking back on it, when I do these things, Karen, I would say, I, I'm never like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I wish I wouldn't have put myself out there because that's how you learn and grow. Yeah, I think that's a very important lesson to be learned. And I guess talk a little bit more about I, the difference between you win and maybe the program that you ran when you were at J.P. Morgan. I guess maybe the lessons you learned at the first one and how it translated over to this one. Yeah, so it's funny to think about 
JP Morgan. And now it's been a long time since I've been there. So to draw any comparisons to now might be a little bit unfair. But I do remember when I went into the analyst training program at JP Morgan, and even when I got to my group in global credit, I never felt like I was out of place. I never felt like a minority. I mean, JP Morgan did such an incredible job kind of creating a very diverse analyst class. And I never felt you know, that I was one of a minority. And even when I went to Global Credit, there were four managing directors in the group. Two were men, two were women. My group was very diverse ethnically, gender-wise. But we wanted to start this network. And when I think about it, we didn't know what we were doing. And we just really wanted to kind of meet people, network, get access to maybe more senior-level folks in the organization. And we started and we wanted a clever name for it. So we decided to name it WIMP, which is the Women's Interactive Network, which was kind of dorky, but whatever. It went with the acronym of WIN. And it's funny, I was looking recently at the JP Morgan website and they still have an employee resource group specifically for women. Now it's been renamed. I think it's called Women on the Move. And the mission is very, actually very similar to what we do for the UN program, which is to retain, develop, and advance women. We have a women's employee resource group at Limit Sales for Limit Sales. And I would say the mission is not quite identical, but very similar to that. So a lot of these things are sort of converging around the same thing, which is increasing representation in the industry. Yeah. What's your opinion on the overall gender gap in the in- industry? Like, why do you think it's there? Why do you think it's so big? Where do you think it starts? It's a good question. And I wish I had an answer. I wish I had the answer so that we can go and solve the problem. And I've talked to a lot of undergraduate women about representation. And you and I had this conversation about your investing club. You know, you're the only woman. And when I talked to all these undergraduates that have participated in the UN program, I asked the same question. What percentage of your class, your finance class, your accounting class, your corporate finance class, econometrics, whatever it is, what percentage are women? And it's usually somewhere between 20 and 25%. So clearly something's happening before college. So you're experiencing in high school. Maybe we need to go back to middle school. I don't know. But I have been involved in mentorship programs for high school students. There's an organization called Invest in Girls, not to be confused with Girls Who Invest, which is another very (laughs) successful program. But I think representation matters. You've heard People say, if you see it, you can be it. And I think that it's uncomfortable to be the only woman in the room. Like, period. It is. I mean, I was talking to my daughter about it just over the weekend where she's working in this internship and there's a lot of men. And she happened to be in one meeting where it was all women. She's like, wow, what a difference. Like, it just, I I felt like I let my guard down a little bit. It's just different. Like, you can't explain it unless you've actually experienced that. I think with investment management, which is the firm, the industry that I'm in, I do think that there are some, again, this is just talking to some of the students that I've talked to, that they maybe confuse investment management with investment banking. And look, investment banking, it's different connotations. Look, I worked there. I had a very good experience, but hopefully you're not watching like crazy movies like Wolf of Wall Street and things like that. And all you think are the sea of a trading room, but it's much more than that. And things have certainly changed, but even so, investment banking is not investment management. So I do think that is part of it. Like, oh, no, 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 I don't want to go into banking. No, 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 this isn't banking. This is investing. You know, this is a very different role than investment banking. So those are a couple of things. And I don't know if we have to go back to high school, middle school to start changing some of these gender, maybe their stereotypes. But 
I think, you know, what you're trying to do is great with this podcast. What I'm trying to do with you, Win, is great. And hopefully collectively we can start to make a difference. Yeah, I think I personally think that it starts in high school. And I think a very big reason is probably some of those movies that you mentioned, like Wolf of Wall Street, where they like some of the guys, they'll watch the movies, they'll develop this idea of what it means to go into finance and then the vibe that they create is hostile I would say or I don't know if that's the best word for it but they definitely create like a hostile environment and like an unwelcoming one at that is not so fun if you're a girl right and I don't know if it's necessarily creating a hostile environment or the perception of it being unwelcoming because you are the only girl or the only woman or one of very few people in the room and it's it can be uncomfortable right and I know that not many women go into investing first of all but as you progress throughout your years and throughout your career have you ever seen the pattern where women begin to leave the career you leave the industry like as you progress in your roles and do you have an idea of why so you know i guess i would leave that to maybe some of the experts who study those things like deloitte has a big study on that mckinsey has a big study on that when I think about my own experience at Loomis, have people just left the industry? I haven't really seen that. I mean, we've had folks that have gone to say competitors, maybe gone to business school, maybe gone to the sell side, you know, investment management, buy side, investment banking mm-hmm. to sell sides. And that's sort of normal and to be expected. And I think maybe the bigger question is why do women drop out of the workforce at a certain period of time? And I truly don't believe it's because they're less ambitious or less successful. That is definitely not the reason. I think back to when I first had kids. So I have two kids now. And before, I think maybe when I was pregnant, I don't know where I found this book, but it was something like The Working Woman's Guide to Life or something like that. And There were three things that they said you needed to be a successful working mother. One was to have a very supportive partner. Okay, check. Second was to have a supportive employer. Check, like good benefits, flexibility, et cetera. And then the third thing is excellent childcare so that when you are at work, you don't have to worry about what your child is doing. And I really focused on making sure that I had, obviously I was married and had a, had a very supportive spouse and I would be the early person to work. So I would arrive at work at seven and then I would have to leave early. And I asked my boss, I'm like, look, I can't stay till five, five thirty. I need to leave at four whenever because the train, my train schedule was such that. And what I ended up doing is the markets are the markets. If you don't finish your work and something's going to happen the next morning when the market's open, like you better be ready for it. So you would just do work from home after the kids went to bed and that's what, you know, you would do to make it work. My employer was very supportive of this. And then excellent childcare. Like I had excellent childcare. I first used a daycare center and then I had any, any ones. I had two kids and I just didn't have to worry about any of that. And those three legs of the stool are so important. It's not like you can have two or one. You literally have to have all three. So to me, that was a non-negotiable. Obviously, child rearing is a defining moment. And a woman's life, like she has to take leave. She, she has, she's yeah. having a medical event. You know, she has to take herself out of the workforce. But being able to openly provide that support to allow women a successful ramp back on is really, really important. But it's frustrating to see the numbers, as you know, we've seen some of the McKinsey studies that as you go up from entry level, it's 
the population, as I know, is 50-50. And in fact, when you look at university degrees, and you probably are going to see this as you're starting to apply to colleges, when you look at the diversity statistics, it's more women there in college than men. And I think it's something like 55% of undergraduate degrees today are given to women. So they're becoming a greater portion of the educated population. And not to say you have to go to college to get a job, but it certainly is one statistic out there that you would think that as you continue to go through an organization, then it should be equal representation. And it's not. So I think programs like UN and some things that you're doing to shed a light on this will certainly help to make a difference collectively. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's not really much else to say besides for that. Being a mother, in addition to also being part of the workforce, is a different sort of struggle that many men don't have to go through. And yeah, you do need that sort of support if you want to also be successful. Many women maybe don't have that sort of support or they only have two out of the three legs of the stool. And that kind of hinders their ability to continue in the workforce. Continue on the topic of women in the workforce. Is it the case that or do you think it's the case that most of the times women support each other in the workforce or is it like as you progress it becomes more competitive because of the lack of diversity and there's sort of like this toxic environment that begins to grow and I know that you have these sorts of programs that are very supportive but I mean like on a person-to-person basis. So I would say supportive absolutely. I see and my organization, Women Supporting Women, very openly. And at the end of the day, we need more women. We need more representation. So we need diversity of thought, experience, gender is one component of that, clearly. But I have observed nothing but women supporting each other and cheering each other on, celebrating our successes. And I think we've evolved. When you think about managing your brand. Like, what do you want to be known for, right? You want to be known for my investing acumen, my research recommendations. And part of your personal brand is what do people say about you when you're not in the room, right? I try to make it a practice, whether it's a man or a woman, to talk about all the good things that XYZ is doing when they're not in the room, to shine a light on that. Because I want more women. I want to be a proactive advocate of that. I don't want to be shunning people. I don't want to be saying they're less than. I welcome those people. And I think together we can be more successful than trying to say, oh, well, there's only room for one woman or two. No, that's not the case. And if you're in an organization that values diversity, then this is something that will be supported. Like my company, we have a lot of diversity programs. We have a lot of employee resource groups that, that service different populations of the company. And when I think about the UN program, the Undergraduate Women's Investment Network program, when I rolled it out, like, what did I know? Like, I'm this research person trying to do this diversity program. And I remember going out to my first college thinking, like, what if we build this and nobody comes? Well, they came. And then I was a little concerned, like, well, I need colleague support. Like, I need 40 mentors, like now. And the response from my colleagues, both men and women, and in some cases, more men, because we tend to have more men in the organization than women, raising their hands. And I had more mentors than I had students. And then I would have some mentors that would say, oh, yeah, I want to be a mentor again the next year. And then we'd have new people who would raise their hand. And then the returners are the folks who had been a mentor the year before. They're like, wait, I just saw the list come out. Why, why didn't I get a student? 
I want a student. I'm like, well, it's great. We're like, we have to take turns here. And most people, whether you're a man or a woman, doesn't matter. Like they remember being 22, 23, 24 in college, 19, thinking, trying to figure out the world, like, what do I want to be when I grow up? And how do I utilize my skills and interests to translate that into a career? And my colleagues, like, gosh, I wish I had somebody like that I could talk to. Yes, I support this. And they support, they're like, yeah, absolutely. We want more women in the organization. We want more representation. So I would say, at least for me, people who talk to me, and maybe they say things to other people, but I can only judge it from the response that I receive and the interaction and engagement that I have with my colleagues and women alike. This is a forum that we use to shine a light on the need. And then also we have an employee resource group specifically for women and their mission is to sort of help retain and develop as well. So they're collectively working together. It's mostly women that are part of this network to provide professional development, communications, training, access, panel discussions, community outreach. I mean, that these are just ways that women are supporting women universally. Right. And Continuing or focusing more on your UN program, is there anything that you would have done differently from like anything that you've learned that going forward might be helpful? So I would say thinking back, and this goes back to like my J.P. Morgan days, and I'll never forget when I was in our first group meeting with our managing director, and there was a bunch of us around the table, and there was a colleague sitting right next to me who was in my training class, and I was nervous, scared, just don't say anything, just write some notes down, like just keep to yourself, speak when spoken to kind of thing. It was literally like the first meeting, and she's raised her hand, contributing things, and I'm like, get a load of this. Oh my gosh, I can't. Not that I was like, how dare she? It was sort of like, wow, how brave. I wish I could be brave like that. I wish I could use my voice like that. And I was so nervous. I was nervous of saying the wrong thing. I was nervous like, oh, I'm going to say something stupid. Or I don't know 100% of the answer. I only know 99.9% of it. So clearly I'm not going to say anything. And once I got out of my comfort zone and started doing that a little bit more, it builds confidence and confidence begets confidence. I just wish that I would have found my voice sooner. And I know that's, it's not necessarily a tangible thing. Like, oh, what do I wish that I would have done? I just wish that I could have developed that voice, developed that confidence so that I could be more engaged, showcase that I knew what I was talking about. Because I think for a long time when you're a student, it's all about getting the grades, putting your head down getting the marks, getting APs, getting the National Honor Society, like you have all these accolades and they speak for themselves. And that's true for sure. But at some point you need to start speaking up and letting people know, like, I've done this, I can do this and letting people know the value that you bring to the table, not just letting your work speak for itself. Because yes, your work speaks for itself for sure, but you have to be your own advocate as well. Right. Do you have any advice for someone who wishes to find their voice or... Any tips? Well, first of all, I would say practice. We have communications coaches that we work with, third parties, and they are invaluable. A lot of what I do as an analyst is just communicating my investment ideas, whether it's in writing or presentations. But if you're looking to become an effective communicator, practice your elevator pitch. Everyone should have an elevator pitch. Like when you get on that elevator, 
and someone says, oh, hi, Karen, how's it going? What are you working on? Or what's keeping you busy these days? Or, oh, you just joined. Tell me about yourself. You're like, oh, what do I say? Be prepared, you know, be prepared for when those things happen. And I would say be brave. I just wish that I could have been braver. And part of it was maybe I was in classes with a lot of men and they have deeper voices. And I also have three older brothers that would always talk over me at the dinner table, which drove me nuts. Please get something to do with it too, but practice. Just practice getting outside of your comfort zone. Yeah, I think that's some very great advice. What's the best advice you've ever received? Gosh, so best advice I've ever received. So part of it is advice, and then part of it, I think, is just observations that I've made. And they're really twofold, and they kind of go together. Maybe they go together, but about building relationships and listening. I think these are universal themes, but when I think about my own role as an analyst, like as an analyst, you are called upon to be the expert about your industry, the companies, the investment recommendations that you're making. Like you are constantly like telling people what they should be thinking, right? And it takes a while to build up that expertise. And then when you transition to being, or at least when I transitioned to being a manager and a leader, guess what? I didn't have all the answers in the room. I wasn't the expert. So I had to surround myself with people who know more than I did, which is humbling, especially when you come from a certain perspectives. And not to say that I knew everything I was to know. Certainly I didn't, but I was an expert at my area of expertise. And now I was being asked to do something completely new. And I really had to work on listening and reaching out to people and listening rather than doing all the talking, rather than saying like, oh, I have all the answers. And I guess what that is, is the value of relationships. And this cannot be underestimated. And I find that your generation or the millennial generation who grew up on technology, they're very comfortable communicating over an electronic platform. Whereas business gets done in relationship with each other. So I will never forget, this was years ago, and I asked an associate saying, oh, can you call the trading desk and ask them where whatever bond was trading? And his response is, oh, yeah, I'll send him a message. And I said, no, 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 pick up the phone and call him. And he was kind of annoyed a little bit. But after the third time of saying this, he kind of came around finally and said, I'm really glad you pushed me to do that. And I said, yeah, because you have to form a relationship with this person because you're going to be recommending a bond to them and they want to get comfortable with who you are, that you know what you're talking about, that they can rely on you that you're smart, you know, that you've got the information that they're looking for. So it's an opportunity to make that impression. And I think building relationships is just super important. And sometimes you have to be strategic about it, but also whoever you end up meeting, because you just never know when you're going to be in a position where you might need somebody's help or you might be in a position to help somebody else. So I'm not sure if those are necessarily like advice, but they're probably things that I've learned along the way that have been really helpful in serving me in my career. Well, thank you so much for your time. My final question is, do you have any closing advice or ideas for girls who are interested in pursuing your specific career and advice you have for building meaningful connections and collaborations? So for girls who are interested in finance, I would say be curious and reach out to people So you can really, truly understand what it's like. 
And part of it is being brave. Part of that is getting out of your comfort zone, utilizing your network. Like, look, at my mother was an accountant at a university and my father was in the army. I had zero perspective, <laughs> zero coming into this. So I really encourage people, young women and the UN program to have informational meetings, talk to people about what it is that they do. And I advise them to just reach out to people, get connected and be prepared for that meeting, be prepared for that discussion. And I would say there's a few crucial questions you should be asking somebody. And it doesn't matter if it's finance or another industry, another role, whatever it might be, but please explain what it is that you do. What is your, there's no average day. I recognize that. Like to describe an average week, like who are you talking to? What are you doing? What are you producing? And then ask like, can I see an example of that? Like if it's not proprietary, but like, what does that look like? And then I ask you like, why do you like what you do? Like what brings you joy about this? Like obviously I'm spending a lot of my hours at work with people, spending way more hours with my people at work, doing work than with family, friends, et cetera. And, it, and I've done it for a long time. So what brings you joy? And then I say, like, when I look at investment management, I could be a trader, I could be a portfolio manager, I could be a strategist. You know, I am not one of those things because of X, Y, and Z. So what brings you joy? And then to make it more tangible, like, okay, so what's your secret sauce? Like, what does it take for you to be successful? Like, what are those skills, those tangible skills, attributes, characteristics, that you need to be successful. So then you can really paint a picture because when you just get Investopedia or the vaults, the career guide, you're reading this, you're like, it's a little bit of gobbledygook. Like you're just like, I can't understand what this means. But to talk to somebody who's really in it and to delve a little bit deeper, get curious and find out what it is that they're doing. And hopefully you're going to find something with somebody that resonates with you like, oh, I could totally see you doing that. That sounds super cool. Or, oh yeah, I really like coding as well. And I didn't realize I could use it to do X, Y, Z, whatever it is. And that process of getting curious and meeting people, and it's called networking. And people think like, oh, networking, it's really scary. And I got to go to a networking event and you got to prepare. Like everything is about being prepared. But networking is something that we do. It's a lifelong skill that you have to just start developing and keep going because a network, once you start to build it, is something to be nurtured. Otherwise, it's going to die in the vine. So kind of goes back to that building of relationships that we talked about earlier. But don't be afraid to ask those questions. I wish I didn't have as much fear as I did back then. And sometimes I'll and look at, and now I use my stupidity to my advantage sometimes. So I'll be talking to management teams like, I don't understand what you're talking about. Can you understand how this flows through your income statement? Like, Help me understand this. It's the first time I'm looking at this. Like, I'd much rather be honest and upfront at the beginning. And you can say, like, look, this might be a stupid question, but this is why I'm asking it. I'm trying to really understand something. As I say to young analysts, I'm like, use your stupidity to your advantage, which is not necessarily a criticism, but it's that message of just being curious, like trying to get your questions answered. Because the last thing you want to do is if I'm having a conversation with you and I tell you what's going on, you say, oh, okay, thanks. And then you walk away and you're like, I have no idea what she was just talking about. Like for me, I'm like, I'm cool. We're good. She understood it. But it's really up to you to make sure that you understand the information that's being presented. So a little bit of rambling there, but those are some things that I certainly share with some of the folks in the UWIT program and some of the more junior analysts that join us. Well, I think that was some really invaluable advice. And thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode of Women Who Earn. I hope to see you next time.